Welcome to the Dellingpod with me, James Dellingpod. And I know I always say I'm excited about this week's special guest. But before I introduce him, a word on behalf of our wonderful, eminently supportable sponsors. Hello, James here with your favourite bit, the support our sponsors bit. Just a few words on behalf of all the wonderful people who advertise with us. And please support them because it's, it's your way of, of helping to support the podcast. I would like to recommend, again, it's so good, the Airbnb in Cardamili in, in Greece, in the Marni, which is, which is probably, I think, you know, few connoisseurs, and I've been around Greece, I tell you, reckon is the, the gem of Greece. It's the best, it's the best part. You eat so well there. Um, I, I've never eaten so consistently well as I did in this place. Um, Cardamili, details in, in the, um, in the blurb below. Five minutes walk from the sea. I used to get up every morning and stroll through Cardamili town, village, and go to the, go to the, the, the jetty and swim out to this island which is about, what, 45 minutes there and back, and you feel so good afterwards. Beautiful mountains in the background, uh, fantastic beaches. It's great. Um, just don't too many of you go, because then I won't be able to book it for next year. Um, support our gold sponsors, details below. Uh, our vitamin D3 and vitamin K sponsor, details below. Um, and all the other ones that I've forgotten for this moment, um, have a look and see see what you what you fancy and of course tickets are still available though selling out fast for the event in manchester with uh, dellingpole live with david ike it is going to be so good i mean already we've got 500 of you coming so i'm not i'm not worried about ticket sales i just think you should be there in order not to miss out i'm obviously going to ask him about the lizard people and I believe they exist. And a few other things that you've, you know, you always wanted to ask David Ike. I'm going to do it because that's how I roll. Thank you for listening. Now enjoy the rest of the podcast. Welcome to the Delling Pod, Gregory Wrightstone um, oh. of the CO2 Coalition. Now, Gregory, this is going to be a bit of a busman's holiday for me. Um, I don't believe we've met, but but we we could easily have done because... For about 10 years of my life, I spent a lot of time in the climate wars trenches, going to Heartland conferences across the US and hanging out with a lot of, lot of people um, who are involved with the CO2 coalition, people like um, uh, Tony Heller and um, who else? Oh, uh, your... Um, my brain's gone. Will gone Happer. Blank. Will Will Happer. I did a I, I did a podcast with with him. He was absolutely brilliant. Yeah, he was. He, I spent the day with him yesterday. He was at our Arlington office. Spent the day with our staff. He's uh, quite possibly the most noble and intelligent man you or I will ever meet. I agree with that. He's a he's eminently civilized and super intelligent. Uh and it strikes me that in my time in the climate trenches, I encountered some of the most knowledgeable, eminently civilized and decent people I've encountered in my, my life. And OK, so it's not it's not proof of anything, but I think it's indicative, perhaps, of the the division between uh, the, the two sides in the climate wars. One side are people who've been prepared to sacrifice their careers, lose, lose tenure, face public ridicule just for speaking the truth. The other side, um, as the climate gate emails exposed, are in the business of, well, juicy freebies abroad um, to, to endless conferences uh, on corrupting and fiddling the data, on smearing the good name of anyone who dares oppose to them, of of torturing the data till it's it it screams. I mean, in terms of right and wrong, our side ought to have won this one years ago, but yet we find ourselves still on the back foot. 
Well, I, I, I agree with you. We're silenced. We're censored. And that's what we have to put up with. But I'm very optimistic. I, I feel strongly that we are, we're not winning yet. But we're, I see a huge movement towards common sense and climate realism. Uh, I see it every day, and at least here in the United States, we see major newspapers coming out with editorials questioning net zero. Uh, and we're doing, and it's, I, I'm, when I just talk to the average Joe or Jane on the street, that's, that has nothing to do with me as I travel around airports, people are thirsty for the information that we provide. Uh, there's a huge skepticism that's lurking in the back of people's brains. They just don't quite buy that there's a climate crisis, but they don't really know why. And that's that's our job here at the CO2 Coalition is to is to provide the facts, the science, and the data uh, that, that gives them that information. And what I tell you, if you've not seen it, I've got a. I'm going to do a little self promotion. If you have a smartphone app, I have a wonderful uh, app. Uh, related to my first book, it's, it's just uh, go to go to the App Store or Google Play and search for Inconvenient Facts, and it has sixty. It has wonderful charts, and you can have this information in the palm of your hand. That way, if you're uh, at holiday dinner and your idiot nephew Billy tells you that, well, Uncle James, uh, did you know polar bears are going extinct? And you could pull this app out and you go, wait a minute, Billy. Here's fact number 53, and that's actually the fact number, and it shows 60 years of polar bear population history from Susan Crockford. And so that's the power that we have here, because you can't carry a book around with you all the time. You can carry your, everyone has their smartphone in the palm of their hand. So it's inconvenient facts. It's free. I think it's it's been downloaded. We're going close to 200,000 downloads of it. And so those are the things we want to do is to arm people with this information and it's I again I'm very very optimistic. I just just about everywhere I go, and huge percentage of the people that I talk to, uh, are welcome the information I provide. I'm I'm not even blowing smoke up your bottom, Gregory. When I say that that is a really 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 good idea, even in my chats on the internet with people who are completely on our side. Quite a few of them lack the the solid information that you're providing on that app. It's a really, it's a really the the number of times I get people saying to me, James, can you point me to some killer facts that I can use to show not my idiot nephew Billy? I think that's more of an American thing, but but but, but <laughs> to show this incredibly annoying friend, uh, colleague at work who insists that the world is doomed unless we bomb our economy back to the dark ages uh, in the name of of combating co2 it's all rubbish and the the, the evidence is is clear cut i think that that was one of the things that really struck me in my period in the climate wars and i'll tell you why i left in a moment but 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 that it's not even moot it's it's it, it's not even though well hang on the the warmists and the alarmists have kind of sort of got an argument they have no arguments at all I mean, have you encountered any anything they've ever said which holds water in any way? Uh, give me a minute. Uh, uh, boy, I can't come up with any right now. Uh. Uh, you're right. I tell you what. I bet, I bet you. I I believe. Give me five minutes with any, just about anybody. I won't. Con- you know, there's some of the radicals that you can't convince. But just yeah. give me five minutes and and in for a little a few charts. I can convince just about anybody that. Or at least to question what they've been told. Maybe maybe they're not quite convinced, but I, you know, I sh- I've got about five charts that are really impactful. Yeah. People go, "Huh, I didn't know that." You know, what's that from? And then they find out it's from NASA or NOAA or or uh, Hadcrude or wherever it's from. You know, it's it's basic government data. Uh, it's hard to question. Can you? Unfortunately, I lack the technological skills for you to be able to post up charts and things on this well i mean we probably could but i but I, I just don't know how to do it and i hadn't planned for it could you imagine i'm in an elevator and it's quite a long elevator it's going to the top of a really tall building and i i'm a, a fervent climate alarmist my name's greta 
and I need you need to convince me that that everything I believe about global warming is nonsense. What would you say to me? First, I'd show you the chart of carbon dioxide through time, going back to the really the Precambrian era, a billion years ago, and look at look at where just since the Paleozoic area, six hundred fifty million years ago, that data for the CO two is. Uh, it's the average. We're, we're a little over 400. I'm not going to go into a whole lot of numbers for you, but we're a little over 400 parts per million today. Uh, the average throughout Earth's history is 2,600 parts per million. So I would show you a chart of carbon dioxide showing that today's carbon dioxide levels are near historically low levels. And so historically, we, we're actually CO2 impoverished compared to Earth's history. Uh, Earth and its plants and animals thrived at much higher uh, levels of carbon dioxide. And we also we can point at, during that chart, we're, at what point did plants evolve? Well, they evolved at about 2,500 parts per million. Again, six times what we are today. And so these plants evolved needing uh, much higher carbon dioxide levels to, to optimally grow. And so again, uh, we're, we're suboptimal levels for crop growth. Uh, the increase that we've had. I would also, maybe then the next chart I would show would be, oh, any one of a number of long-term temperature versus CO2 to show that uh, what's the relationship through time between carbon dioxide and temperature. And what you find is looking at decades, hundreds, thousands, or millions of years, there is no correlation between carbon dioxide increase or decrease and temperature increase or decrease. There just isn't. Uh, if you look through the last 10,000, 8,000 years, uh, we found that, uh, that, that the, uh, uh, we've been in general temperature decline over the last 8,000 years. Meanwhile, CO2 has increased. How does that happen? Uh, for example, we just started in, when we started increasing CO2 in the post-World War II area, era, we went into a 33-year temperature decline. So we see, temp just as we started increasing CO2, we went into, it ended in the late 70s, uh, but 33 years of cooling. Or we could look at the central England temperature record, which is the long longest thermometer record in, available, and show that, showing that the warming started, Again, actually, in the we know what year it was. It was the year 1695 in the late 17th century, the coldest period probably in the last 10,000 years. And we've been warming in fits and starts ever since, uh, but CO2 was flat. And so what they're telling you is, okay, so we've been warming for more than 300 years, but look at this. The first 250 years of that were naturally driven. And they'll tell you then, oh, well, that's all changed in the middle of the 20th century. Now it's being driven by CO2. No, uh, the same natural forces, whatever they are, and I, I don't know for sure, it's probably solar, um, but those same natural forces are driving temperatures up and down just like they have for hundreds, thousands, and millions of years. They, haven't, they didn't cease in 1951 when we started adding huge amounts of CO2. Yeah. Uh, so there are a number of charts that are really impactful. I would also throw uh, crop growth. Probably the the most effective one is, is corn, but we could look at my new book. Uh, I, I look at the top eight crops in the world, and man, they're just breaking records year after year after year. Uh, there are a number of things that go into that technology, increasing nitrogen fertilizer. Uh, also, hugely beneficial would be warming, because the warming means we have longer growing seasons. Killing frost stop earlier in the spring, uh, arrive later in the fall, and that's all hugely beneficial. And then that's all turbocharged by increasing carbon dioxide. So th these are just a few of the charts I would show on that elevator ride to Greta as she gets off on the thirty fifth floor. And uh, but but th there's and then there's she jumps so off because she's so depressed. They realize everything she's believed is no, a lie. I wouldn't, I wouldn't wish that on her. Uh, but uh, yeah, uh, yeah, I'm not. I'm not going to touch that. I, I try to stay out of that. The no, we love we we love Greta. We, we we're sure that she believes totally in what she says. But yeah, yeah. Um, it's we don't even need to demonstrate, do we? What it is that causes 
causes warming and cooling. It's 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 not really it's not really a matter of public policy concern at any rate. All we need to do is demonstrate that CO two is not the the demon it's been set up as being. Nor is it the right. It's not the the Earth's thermostat. CO two is not the thermostat that we're dialing up or down. What you're right. That's the important thing. What it is that's actually driving temperature up and down. Like I say, it's probably solar, mm. and you probably agree with that. But you know, it's hard. It's there's so many things that go into it. We've got, uh, for example, John Clauser is the current Nobel laureate in physics. Uh, it, we, we just brought him on as a board member at the CO2 Coalition, and uh, one of the just one of the many distinguished and eminent scientists that we have here. And you know, he believes that clouds are are hugely underrated. And just, and he's, you know, the more I talk to him, the more I, yeah, he's, he's got a strong point because just go out this afternoon. If it's, if it's a cloudy day or if there's sunlight, well, when a cloud goes over, think about that temperature can drop eight to 10 degrees just in a moment when that cloud goes over. Uh, So think about what that, when, when it with increasing clouds, you're blocking and reflecting huge amount of solar radiation coming in. That would otherwise warm the planet, and he he contends that uh, that that's really been there have been changes in the amount of cloud cover, which necessarily would affect Earth's atmospheric temperature because again these solar rays are coming in and reflecting off clouds rather than striking the Earth's surface, mm. and when they strike the Earth's surface, as you know, they they it's re-radiated as infrared rays that then uh, are, are are the are the warming element of greenhouse gases. And of course, the number one greenhouse gas too, the other chart I would show people is that the greenhouse gas that controls everything is what you know is water vapor, Yeah, which, uh, you know, it varies. It might be uh, 80 to 95% of the greenhouse effect is dominated by water vapor. Mm. So, which does rather invite the question, how is it that... CO2 was able to be demonized in this way. I mean, I, I know that Arrhenius, um, a physicist in the, what the late 19th century theorized that there might be a connection between CO2 and, and, and warming. And then I think, what was it? Uh, Tyndall had something to, to say about this. But it seems to me that, and, and then obviously Al Gore, <laughs> that, that famous scientist, he leapt onto the on, on onto this, um, claiming that claiming that this is what his Harvard tutor Roger Revelle had told him in a landmark lecture that changed his understanding forever. But it seems to me that the number of scientists pushing this has been very few, and yet it has become the dominant strain of thinking across across academe, across politics. So. So how? How did this happen? How did a lie get promoted in this way? Well, um, if you were going to pick something to bring down, I, I get asked that a lot. You know, you're basically you're asking, why are they doing this? What's their motivation? Yeah. And honestly, James, I, I can't, I, I, I get asked this a lot. And my stock answer is, I... I'm a scientist. I can't look inside men's and women's souls to see what their motivation is. Um, I'm being told, I ask people, you know, every single person in your audience listening to this is just as qualified as I am to tell me why they're doing it. What is it? Control, money, funding? Uh, Is it the destruction of the Western world, the destruction of capitalism? I don't know. All the above. Or all the above. I don't know what it is. But as a scientist, my job is to say, okay, here's what they're telling you, mm. and here's what the science tells us. Yeah. And time after time after time, I really got into this. You've been in this a lot longer than I have. I got into really deep into climate change, oh, eight years ago uh, as a geologist. It was my own. I knew that some of what we were being told about climate change was wrong because I'm a geologist. It was really ocean acidification. I knew that was wrong. Yes. Okay. Okay. That's easy. It It's never happened before. The oceans have never been acid. They've always been very basic and alkaline, and, and it's never happened. So I knew that was wrong, and I suspected other things were wrong, 
So I took a deep dive and I said, you know what? I'm not going to trust anybody. I'm going to go back and look at the base data myself and I'm going to see what, what, what it actually tells me. And I did that. And frankly, what I found angered me, um, I found scientists misrepresenting data, lying, flat out lying to people, uh, cherry picking data, fabricating data, uh, misrepresenting. And it, it was just, it, as a scientist, it angered me. And it really drove me to write my first book, which was Inconvenient Facts, which was published seven years ago, actually last week. And it was, it, it was still a number one bestseller on Amazon last week after seven years because it's been so, my books, books and my new book, I write for the common man, the common Joe and Jane on the street that aren't scientists. Yeah. I don't dumb the science down, but I try and make it understandable. And that's why it's such a, it's been such a popular book for so many years. And so I, my mission is, is to provide this information in clearly understandable charts because the picture's worth, worth a thousand words, make yeah. it understandable so that people look at it and they go, huh? Yeah, that's right. And uh, that's my goal. Yeah. I'm, I'm envious of your sales. Um, so, so do you know how many you've sold? Uh, I've printed close to 90,000. Nice work. Yeah, it's on, you, you know how difficult that is. Impossible. I, I mean, you, you've, you've achieved the impossible because you are doing my, it in the teeth of an industry which does not... Bookshops do not want to put your book on the shelves. Publishers do not want to publish it. Nobody wants to, to publish against the narrative. I've got, I've got some great stories of, of just influential people that have picked up my book somehow and then adopted me as their special project. There's a, a young black conservative uh, in the United States, Candace Owens. Oh, that, yeah, yeah. Uh, I love Candace. She's, she's, oh, she's wonderful. Yeah, yeah. And she found my book. And one of her pod, my, my brother I work with, he monitors my sales and marketing and things. And he says, what'd you do? He called me up on Saturday. Your book's exploding. And it wasn't until Sunday that somebody told me that well, Candace Owens, she picked up my book, Inconvenient Facts. And she says, this book has changed everything I believe about climate change. And then she said, every person in this audience needs to go buy the book. And of course, that just drove sales. And I've had other people like that, uh, that just have pushed the sales. And it's, it's, I owe a lot of people a lot of things, but, um, it's, it, this is my mission. I think this is why I was put here on earth is to provide the information to people. And then my, my new book, I just got my new books in. This just arrived yesterday. A Very Convenient Warming, How Modest Warming and More CO2 Are Benefiting Humanity. This book just arrived in our offices yesterday. I've got the first uh, pre-publication versions of them. Uh, the big pub publication, I've got 20,000 being printed as a first run, which is pretty bold uh, to print that many initially. Because most, as you know, most books uh, would be lucky to to sell eight or nine thousand on a on a good run. Yeah, yeah. I I certainly didn't sell that many copies of of watermelons. Although I do get a lot of requests now for for people exact in exactly the position you described at the beginning. People are hungry for hard data that confirms their hunch. Because I think most people have a gut feeling that all the climate stuff is woo. They just, they just don't have the... Because, after all, the media is constantly lying to them. So where do they go? The, the, a lot of the internet is compromised. It's, it's difficult. Yeah. Well, this book, it's... I've got a, the website I have is convenientwarming.com. You could just Google... I'll put the link Google. below. Don't worry. Okay. Yeah. Or just Google convenient warming and it pops right up. It's been this website, and it may be available for pre-order later today. Uh, it, this is all happening in real time right now. Uh, my, I'd have my, to say, Gregory, you Americans are so good at at, at, um, at selling yourselves, uh, and, and, I, and it's not a criticism. It's just I wish I were better at. I wish I had your skills. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm sure yeah. it'll it'll do well. Yeah. Okay, I'll stop selling. No, no, but, but so um, uh, it's interesting that a lot of the the scientists who are skeptical about the whole climate alarmism things are in in fields like physics 
sort of a proper a proper hard science and geology i suppose the geologists you've got the sense of the time scale yeah we i just had the conversation yesterday with you know dr william happer emeritus professor of physics from princeton he was yeah. and we did a, a joint interview at live in a studio uh, in the area and we had that conversation i said well i think that you know, the, of all the scientists, I think geology and the geologists are the most skeptical. And he said, well, I might disagree. He says, uh, he, th- he thought it was physics. Of course, he's a physicist. Yeah. He says, because we, we look at the hard data that tells us that they're wrong. And, and as geologists, we're, we're coming at it from two different perspectives. He's looking at, at bizarre equations that I don't understand of physics driving, whatever it is. Yeah. And he, they, they, I don't, I don't hope that I'll never, I don't want to learn it. Nice. And I come at it and geologists come at it because we look at the long term. We put things in a long term perspective yeah. of thousands and millions of years. And if you only look at the last 75, 100, 150 years, well, that's giving you a false indication. You need to have a longer term perspective because during that 150 years, all we have seen is warming and for the most parts in fits and starts we talked about that 33 year cooling period but that fit into the overall uh somewhat warming period since uh, the late 17th century uh, so you know i think you know physicists geologists uh we have a lot of geologists and a lot of physicists uh at the co2 coalition we've just added actually it turns out we have a lot of chemists uh We've also, it, what's interesting, we'll get to, we don't have to get to it right now, but we have an education initiative uh, that we've, we launched last year. Uh, if you want to go there, we can. It's, it's, I'm so proud of what we've done, but James. That, you're, again, you've got an uphill struggle because you know and I know, I'm sure it's the same in the US as it is in the UK. If there's one thing every school, every school science teacher knows is that man's selfishness and greed is destroying the planet because of CO2. It's just an article of faith for them. They don't even need to look at the other side. So how do you get this information into these well, we, schools? Well, we're in America. I'm not sure how it is in the UK, but uh, here we've got a huge uh, charter school uh, system. A lot of people in charter schools, and they're allowed to present this information. Uh-huh. We have a huge homeschool uh, movement. Yeah, all of all of my grand, every single one of my grandchildren are homeschooled, and it's the homeschoolers love what we have. We have we formed a committee. We were concerned that our children were being indoctrinated. They were they were being taught groupthink. They were uh, any information about climate change that went against this uh, global warming, man made, catastrophic warming narrative was censored they weren't actually that's what they tell the people in their in the science standards anything that goes against that is disinformation and pseudoscience is what they actually tell them uh so we've we've we came out fighting we have about 18 members of our committee these are mostly all phds uh physicists chemists we've got and so we've got books we've got videos and importantly we created lesson plans uh that really are, are the homeschoolers have, have really embraced that, particularly some charter schools. And it was our, our, our lesson plans are created by Dr. Sharon Camp, who's a PhD in analytic chemistry. She taught AP science, is a, uh, retired now as a science teacher. She's still a reader for AP, which is advanced placement science in the United States. Uh, so she knows what she's doing. So these are actually a scientist writing lesson plans about science, which is rare. Uh, and so we're providing this. Uh, we've created a new website. We just launched it two months ago, uh, co2learningcenter.com, uh, co2learningcenter.com. And it's, it's, it's really, we got, I, I recruited a, a talented artist out of Brazil, Tiago Hellinger. So he does our books. They're manga style. The kids love them. Fascinating. And the videos are also done anime style. Uh, and I've started, I've started a new book series. Uh, it's, I'm calling it the Sleep Well series. And we're going to look at the first one to be Chloe the Clownfish Sleeps Well at Night. Oh, About, good old Chloe. I'm glad. Obviously, yeah. she's related to Nemo in some way. 
somewhere. Um, we yeah. we recruited Dr. Peter Ridd, who you um, you're no Peter. I know Ridd, Peter Ridd. Peter Ridd. I, I think I've had him on the podcast. He has fought some heroic battles and been vilified and suffered greatly for it, for his his almost one man campaign to demonstrate the the bar- the Great Barrier Reef isn't about to melt into a kind of acid acid uh, pool with all the yeah, fish well, and corals dying. Exactly. He's he's a member of the CO2 coalition. I've recruited him. He's, he's going to help me with this Chloe the Clownfish book. And so I'm going to have him come down and at, like in either a submersible or a scuba out, outfit to talk to her school of her to tell them that the Great Barrier Reef is thriving and there's no ocean. It'll be, it'll be just an opportunity for us to use this story to present actual science about oceans and the reef health. Sure. I'm curious, Gregory, about your, the fact that all your grandchildren are being homeschooled. I mean, from where I am, um, homeschooling is quite a radical thing to do. And by the way, it's what I would do if I could have my time with my children all over again. I would homeschool them um, because I think that, that, that conventional education is, is an indoctrination system. So I, 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 you're very lucky. But how come you managed to breed such awake kids uh, my, produce- my daughter is a she's a fierce mama bear don't get between her and her children uh, they recognize the problems in the school system and my five-year-old granddaughter the oldest well she's six now but she was last year was reading at a fourth grade level so that would be you know four years ahead of what her level would have been yeah uh, she reads the first book at four years old she was nearly five she read our first book uh, it was called Once Upon a Time, The True Story of Carbon Dioxide. She read the, I was. I wanted to sit down and read it to her. She read it to me. And the only words, at, this is at, at, at four years old, she stumbled over photosynthesis and veterinarian. Those were the only two. She almost got, she, she almost got, and this, so this is the power. Most of the homeschool, the homeschoolers are, they test off the scale compared to, to public I've schools. seen it I've seen it in the UK there was the, there's this place called hope in um, in Southeast England uh, a charity for homeschooling and I, I went to a festival one year and there were some of those homeschooled kids there and they were just they were outgoing they were comfortable talking to adults they were they formed in in, in these sweet little groups where the older children would look look after the younger children and the younger children would look up to the to the older children as mentors it was it was how the world should be so and, and i can well well believe that yeah, and everything schools. everything when they my when my daughter wherever they go it's an educational experience she brings yeah yeah something to teach them about what they're doing yeah and it's uh it's a wonderful, and it's a large community that she's involved with. They're not isolated, sitting at home, homeschooling. It's not like that at all. Yeah. Uh, so they're 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 very well acclimatized to other children, uh, well well rounded, and so. But I'm I'm just so proud of what we've accomplished. Uh, you would think with fifteen or eighteen eggheads of PhDs in a yeah. committee would never do and complete what we've done. So, you know, kudos to them. Do, um. You, you say that you were initially agnostic about climate change until you started doing your research. Um, have you suffered, uh, has your career suffered at all? Did, did you get any, any pushback when you, when you started becoming an out climate denier? As the, well, as no, called? it's because uh, I got into it. I was, I was in the energy arena originally okay. uh, and was an entrepreneur. I was the founding partner of an energy company. And then whenever I split, I, I was, ban- you know, I, I couldn't do anything for several years in energy. And I said, well, let's just, uh, I, I took that time to do this exploration uh, in, into climate change. And that's what really uh, sucked me in. And so, no, I've, uh, I mean, yes, have I been, have I been banned? Yeah, I've been banned on, I mean, LinkedIn, I'm permanently banned. Are you? Uh, but it's an interesting story. Just real quickly, I was, I would, I, I had a huge following on LinkedIn, huge. And I would post, because I posted scientific data that was really interesting and factual. And they started, all of a sudden, they started removing my posts. Almost every single one they would remove, call it false and misleading, 
and then erase it. Yeah. And my very last post on LinkedIn, now this is funny, but my very last post, I said, I think I'm about to be banned and deplatformed by LinkedIn. They removed it, called it false and misleading, and then banned and deplatformed me. Now that's funny. I don't care who you are. That's funny. And so uh, that was a little over a year ago. Uh, and they said permanently banned. We will not even consider getting you back on. You know, uh, call me naive. I thought that LinkedIn was for business people to make contact with one another and develop their businesses. I, I wasn't aware that its its job in, in any form was to police people's um, uh, worldview. LinkedIn, LinkedIn actually might be the worst. Really? Uh, Who- we get... We- we get shadow banned on Facebook. We get now most of our, and we get our uh, posts. We, we try and advertise our posts. That's regularly, uh, they don't like us at all. That's pretty much we, most of those, most of our posts, uh, Facebook does not allow uh, promotions of them. Uh, and so we, in fact, for Instagram, uh, I've got to get back. We've got to try and get on what, when, when we when I joined when I took over we didn't have an Instagram account so I had our social media person she created an Instagram account yeah and before she could post the first post when she did that they said that we'd been removed for it was like off it, we before we could even post our first Instagram post we were we were canceled you've been preemptively banned. Exactly. That's fantastic. That's an, that's an honor indeed. Yep. Oh, and then this is also good. Talk about a badge of honor. Uh, we went to the National Science Teaching Association annual convention uh, just a few months ago in May, and uh, we took we had a double booth that we paid for. This is a huge convention of fourteen thousand people. We went into the lion's den, and we we looked at the NSTA's climate change policy and what they're what they promote yeah. and it was just horrible 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 it made the national climate assessment and the ipcc look good and uh and so uh, the uh, we we i we created it was dr lenzen dr happer myself and a whole team of people put put together it was called challenging the nsta's climate policy it was a publication we we actually had a publication date of the first day of the convention. And uh, we put it up. And we, we were swamped by people. All the teachers just, uh, the second day, they're just coming and gathering our materials. Second day, the second morning, we just handed out all of our materials we had brought. And the COO and another head honcho and three security people came up. And he told me, he said, you have to take down this material because it was this challenging net zero. He says, you're... Your 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 material is uh, contradicting what we say. This is our convention. You need to remove it. And I told him, I said, we're not going to remove that. That's what we're here for. And he says, then you're going to have to leave. So I said, you're going to you're expelling us from your convention that we've paid for. He says, that's right. You must pack up and leave. And so right in the middle of the convention. Now bear in mind, I've got I've got three PhD women, fairly young, that are this is their mission is science education. And they're there with me. And uh, so they had security kick me and three women PhD scientists out of their convention. Probably the only PhDs on the whole floor, I might, <laughs> might add. Uh, and so we wore that as a badge of honor. We walked out uh, with our heads held high. Uh, again, we wore that as a badge of honor. Well, uh, A, did you get your money back? No. Bastards. And B... Before you were kicked out, what kind of reception were you getting? Was it hostile? Oh, or was it? Oh, uh, overwhelmingly positive. Uh, there were a couple. There were a couple nasties. Yeah. They said, "Oh, CO two coalition, I love what you're doing, and you know this is so great that you're working to fight back against climate change." And we go like, "Well, it's not quite really what we believe." And when they go, they would go. There would be this. Their eyes would widen. It was just look a horror. They go, "Oh." We had people just throw the materials back at us. We had, we had a guy from NOAA. They had a huge booth not too far from where our booth was, and he came over. He was an imposing guy. He must have been 6'4", six, 6'5". Six, and uh, 
he was i can't convert that to meters but a tall guy no, and uh, we know, we know, uh we know feet so uh he came over and he says i had some of my colleagues told me that you were here promoting this disinformation he yeah. says i didn't believe it until i walked up here and I, and i said no look here this is the data this is what we're doing and uh yeah he didn't like it much uh, well there's a very good comeback to to anyone from noah or indeed from nasa because in in my days fighting the climate wars, I must have written at least half a dozen articles demonstrating that NOAA had completely mucked around with the data. They they they'd they'd um, fiddled with the data sets. the The actual raw data was was uh, untrustworthy because of the placing of 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 the the weather stations and so on. Everything about the process, people people think if it's called the National, what is it, Oceanographic and Atmospheric Administration, is that right? Um, yep. They think it's got a, a long name and it's it, it's a sort of branch of government. It must be reliable. There must be standards that they must ma- maintain. Everything I, I, I saw in my study of, of NASA's, um, NASA GIS, Goddard Institute of Space Studies, and NOAA's treatment of the data to do with climate change it's it's fraudulent it's not even it's not even kind of innocent errors it's actively fraudulent yeah and and that's what i showed him when he walked up to our our booth was i said well look we're using your own data here (laughs) are you saying that your own data is wrong and but you're right a lot of this stuff was and and again i exposed that in my new book i went back and looked at uh, tony heller has a, a wonderful software program that allows uh it's, it takes a little while to get used to it and figure it out, but it's wonderful that you can take actually the uh, NOAA data from the United States Historical Climate Network. So it's it's America, it's United States data, but we have some of the best coverage over yeah. a wide area of anywhere in the world. So uh, we were able to take that and manipulate, not manipulate it, but uh, take and, and fig- we can get the raw data and then we can get the manipulated data that's been altered and see what the changes are. And what we find uh, for the United States, it was before ni- about 1980, there was a strong cooling. They, the altered data cooled the wet, the data, and after 1980, it warmed it, and it was significant. Uh, and it's that's what they do. They turn what we looked at was particularly if you look at maximum temperatures, it turned a decline of maximum temperatures into an increase uh, from the raw data to the uh, altered data. Yeah, yeah, they can do anything, can't they? I mean, as I understand it, the the really hot period in the U.S. certainly was in the 1930s. I think much hotter than yeah, late 20s, early in uh, 1930s. Absolutely, and if you look at the EPA, Environmental Protection Agency's website, uh, and search for EPA heat waves, a year ago you would have found this chart that was that showed everything going back to about. I think 1895 or 1900, that showed this giant spike of heat waves in the 20s and 30s, and then huge decline to today that we're, you know, a fraction of those. Uh, That was removed a year ago and replaced by this other thing called a heat wave index. And I looked, I I only realized that as I started writing, going deep into my book, I said, what happened to this chart? They hit it and it's gone. And it replaced by, and if you look at this, they're, heat wave index isn't really a heat wave index of the united states it's actually you have to go really deep into their the methodology that nobody does except maybe you and me i went into the methodology to find out that it was the 50 largest metropolitan areas of the united states it was the heat index of cities and you know fully well that the urban heat island effect is an artificial warming that's been going on for decades of artificially warming these uh, urban areas because of the buildings, the asphalt, a uh, number of things having to do with it. So it wasn't actually, so, th- and they didn't disclose that. And this is, this is how they manipulate data. Uh, another great one, well, it's not great, it's just, but a great example was this recent uh, study on mortality uh, that was the journal Nature uh, published here. This was just two months ago, perhaps. Uh, they found that Actually, the conclusion, they weren't, you had to dig into it, but the conclusion of this was that 10 times as many people die due to cold as due to heat. And the chart that they used, though, they, okay, that was in there, 
But after that, they didn't say heat or cold related deaths. They said uh, uh, temperature challenge. There's a phrase they used. So you would just assume it was hot. But the chart they used, they manipulated the data. And so you have to see the chart. But the x axis for the heat related deaths was zero to 250, cold was zero to 50. And what it made it look like cold and heat were the same on the chart, which is what people look at. Well, we went back and redid that to show that, my Lord, if you look at the chart the way it really should be, is this huge amount of cold-related deaths and a very small amount of heat-related deaths. And the other thing interesting with this study was that um, actually the heat-related deaths, as they looked into it, uh, they called it a harvesting effect, where the heat heat deaths were culling those that were really sick and near death anyhow, that they would have died within the next few months, and that they actually reported what they called a mortality shadow in the months following a heat wave. Because bear in mind, those people would have died in those next few months, but they were taken out during the heat wave. And you don't see that with the cold-related deaths. Uh, So just there's a lot that goes into this. We see that tended, the the biggest study of its kind showed that, uh, which was Gasparini et al., uh, looked at 74 million heat related or temperature related deaths. In that study, they found that it was 20 times as many people die due to cold as due to heat. Nonetheless, it's completely opposite of what you and your your viewers are being told. Yeah, yeah. They. I was talking to my wife the other night about this. She she works in the the gardening sector. If that's the right word, um, and she spends a lot of time visiting grand houses with with beautiful gardens and going to the rural horticultural society and institutions like that and and uh, the national trust which is which is britain's biggest landowner and so on and every one of these institutions has been captured by the alarmists by the people who 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 say that for example in in the gardening world they say there are certain there are certain species of plants which we should no longer grow in Britain because they are inappropriate because of all this warming that is coming and and because of the the the, the conditions that it, it's quite wrong so they they're sort of inventing this thing in, in advance of of evidence that there is an actual problem they've just they're so invested in this and i think you'll find every institution across the world be it, be it architects bodies They'll they'll have have regulations which 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 assume that CO two is a deadly problem and 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 warming is going to destroy us all. The gardening world will have it. I imagine that the the farmers have to face it. Every institution they've 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 permeated the entirety of our culture with what is essentially a lie. Yeah, and that's that's your job, and well, at least my job. And ours is to to fight back against this, and uh, I think it's going to require we're it, we're going to win this war. We're going to win. We're going to win battles. We're going to win the war eventually. Uh, it may require again. Will Happer and I had this conversation. He's convinced that we're getting closer, but it's going to require quite a bit more pain uh, before people actually go. Wait a minute. Well, just let me give you an example of the pain that we're feeling. It, I I moved to Florida three years ago. We bought a home there. The That year we averaged $149 a month for electricity. This year we're averaging over $500 per month for electricity. Who can afford, now I'm not going to convert that to pounds, but it's who can afford, a what normal person can afford to pay that? What it's to have that kind of an increase. So it's and, more than trebled in, in, in three years. Yes. Now, is, what, what has caused that? Is it renewable uh, mandates or, or what? Yeah, they've gone more and more. Uh, it's, we're under a Tampa Electric Company, and they've, they've gone more renewables. I don't know exactly the reason. I can, say, like, I can tell you that it's happened because I'm experiencing it. Uh, I, will, I will say that now we've got well, – the home before was only uh, a gentleman and his wife. Uh, now it's like the Wrightstone family compound, which is my wife, me, uh, my daughter, son-in-law, and three grandkids, and another son. That's so nice, got, though. Oh yeah, it is. But 
you know, so we're, we're using a bit. We looked at it. We're using a bit more electrics. That's part of it. But it's mainly the increase in, in electricity. I, I had hoped that a, a red state like Florida might have been exempt from the nonsense. But, it, but it's obviously a, across no, the, if, across if the you state. look at te- Texas, Texas might be with the worst. They should be there. They have the highest percentage, I believe, of renewables. Yeah, they, they embraced uh, wind power, solar power, and it's it's the chickens are coming home to roost there. Uh, and it's you know we saw that a couple of years ago with the blackout uh, in Texas, and it, we're going to be seeing that repeated worldwide. We're seeing it. We know it's being repeated world in in Africa. Uh, regularly with these brownouts and blackouts on a regular basis. Actually, just riddle me this, Gregory. Texas, we certainly think of over here as a state of rugged oil men, looking a bit like probably Kevin Costner in that. that, I know that's not set in... Yellowstone. (laughs) Yellowstone, yeah. And they're no nonsense, and they don't take any, any bullshit about from from enviro wackos um and if there's one thing we know about texas because we've seen dallas uh, a few decades ago it's got loads and loads of oil so how did this oil rich red state of sort of rugged individualists how did they get captured by the eco loons well just as in the uk your so-called conservative elements have been captured by the they're they're not that conservative after all yeah. and they're not that uh, uh, aware of of the true facts of climate change and we had some republican governors that said well let's do the right this you know they got captured by this and promoted it um and they they put the wrong people on the wrong boards uh the the uh you know the the pu's the public utility commissions they put the wrong people on there and they're going to promote it uh they're 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 realizing it now too late, uh, but they're still going forward with with a lot of these stupid proposals. Again, it's it's gonna. I think it's gonna require more pain for people to just wake up and go, "Oh my God!" I mean, they're trying. Just think about this. They they're trying to control. They, they want to re- take away our freedoms here in the United States and around that every our freedom to choose what car to drive. Uh, yep. How to heat our homes? You know, in the UK, it's big push for heat pumps, and uh, you know, it's just crazy. I mean, what you know, showers. I just bought a new shower head, James. Okay, so it's a two two shower heads, and there were three flow restrictors in it. There's one in the base and one in each shower head. I mean, that water trickled out. It was barely. I had my son-in-law come visit. Came visit. And he knocked out all three flow restrictors. And man, I tell you what, you get in that shower now, it about takes your skin off. I love it. And but that's what they want. They, they want that. That's what they're doing. They're yeah. selling us now, imposing dishwashers that don't really wash dishes very well. That's oh, yeah. and washing machines. Thank that you don't for wa- confirming that. Yeah, the dishwasher we've got is just useless. And it takes three hours to it wash the dishes. It takes three and a half hours. And right. you don't get the, the water doesn't dry off at the end so that you you take the stuff out. and, yeah. and oh. Well, you're doing your part. I want to thank you, you and your wife, for doing your part to save the planet. Yeah. Uh, you're to be commended. And also, you should be commended for that new washing machine you probably just bought that doesn't really wash your clothes very well because it's low water and... Uh, uh, you know, and so it's just, it's ridiculous. They're they are now uh, in the United States regulating uh, air conditioning units. Uh, it's, it's one are thing. Are they really? Yes. The thing that makes certain, I mean, certain states are uninhabitable. I mean, I imagine Virginia, for example, which is built, which is a swamp, basically. In the uh, summer, you wouldn't want to live there. I, I live there in the summer. It's not, it's, it's actually the heat waves today are, we just did a report, Virginia and climate, yeah. uh, on this. We looked at Virginia-specific data, and we find that the maximum temperatures in Virginia are actually less than they were back 90 years ago in the 20s and 30s. Actually, the 40s and 50s for Virginia were actually higher than they are today. Uh, and we're, we took a look. We're doing these state-specific uh, uh, studies 
Yeah. Uh, we did one for the Midwest, America's Breadbasket. The, tit- the title is Midwest and Climate Change. America's Breadbasket is uh, is good, thriving and prospering. And, and we see that because it's, you know, corn, soybeans, and the other crops uh, grown across the Midwest of the United States are just, again, breaking records year after year after year. And we see that mortality is declining, that, uh, again, heat waves in the Midwest peaked in the 20s and 30s. Uh, I've got a couple other studies. If you like the show uh, Yellowstone, you'll be uh, empowered to know we're doing a, a, a study specifically on Montana, which is fascinating. Uh, there was a recent uh, climate kids lawsuit that was decided in the climate kids favor. And the judge actually found her findings of fact, there were 60 of them. And we're going through each one. It was it was just ridiculous. And it's it's a lot of fun just going in, looking at each one, debunking them. Like they're saying that the all they they numbered eight or ten different animal species uh, that were in decline, <laughs> and we went and looked at the Montana data to show that the species they say were in decline were actually increasing. Yeah, yeah. They looked at at the uh, the yellow, the rivers of Montana to say that their uh, oxygen levels are decreasing and the heat. Well, we looked at the actual data that proved that they're it's actually incorrect. The snowpack they say that uh, the snow resorts. Are, aren't going to be existing in a few years because of the the decline of snow. Oh, no, just the contrary. Just last year, they had record levels of snow in Montana and, yeah. and things like that. So it's actually, I find it's a lot of fun to go through, okay, this is what they're telling you, and here's what the data is. Wait, do you, I don't know whether you ever came across that, that famous, glorious um, headline in the independent newspaper in the UK. Uh, and it was headlined, soon children will, will forget what snow looks like. Yep, yep, yep. <laughs> and we'll to... the person who wrote that, he's never going to get any comeback. He's going to get a bit of light ridicule, but he's never going to, going to suffer the career damage that people get for telling the truth about climate change. Indeed. Indeed. Um, I'd like to question one of, one of the things you said, where you said that politicians don't actually know the truth they don't know the answer now i have a friend whose name is michael gove who who is a a successful politician in the uk and he was the education secretary for a while and i think i think then he became the environment secretary at a different stage and when he was when we we were more friendly than 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 we are perhaps now i gave him a copy of my book, Watermelons, and he read it and, and was thoroughly acquainted with the arguments and knew that I was right and acknowledged this in conversations. And even when he was education secretary, he tried to remove some of the, the climate nonsense from the curriculum. Yet a few years later, there he was enforcing Enviro directives with, with, uh, z- with great zeal. And he it, it, magically he'd forgotten all the all the factual evidence against the idea that CO two is a problem. He'd embraced the green agenda wholeheartedly. Now I put it to you that our politicians actually, even though they are thick, they're not that thick. What they are is essentially puppets of a supranational movement, so above the level of national governments, which wants to. Um, impoverish us, immiserate us, regulate the amount of energy we can we can use, whether for cars or for travel or for. They want to stop us traveling every which way. They want us to shiver or or boil in our homes. Ultimately, this is not about science, is it? Yeah, it's not, and they're they're just misguided, and that's why we need to educate them. And you know how we do that's a different matter. Uh, I'll be in London next week, hopefully meeting with some. Of, of your uh, members of parliament, uh, quite a few of them, and uh, on a couple of separate meetings, and I'll be trying to educate them. And so I want to thank you, James, for having me on today. Uh, it's been a great uh, pleasure, and I hope we've uh, we, we, we've inspired some of your your viewers to uh, to go and uh, learn more. And again, uh, uh, get either one of my books, uh, but uh, but I. 
I have, I have a, actually, I have half another interview where I've been doing back-to-back interviews. So, ah, oh, uh, okay. It wasn't that you were, you were kind of. I, I was wondering whether you were trying to evade where I was going, which no, is ultimately the people. Let's, let's do this again. Let's do this again, and uh, whenever we have some more time. But uh, uh, today, it's been impossible with back-to-back. That's interviews. all right. It's but, good. You've got a book to promote, and I understand that, and I, I really hope it, 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 it sells because it's important what you're doing. So, thank you. And thank, thank you, for you very much. Clearly. Um, thank you. Thank you for coming on the on the Delling Pod. Thank you. Okay. Delling Pole meets Mike in Manchester, November the fifteenth. You'll find the details below. I'm really looking forward to seeing you all there, November the fifteenth. Gonna be fun. Bye.